Welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, where two pediatricians discuss child health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects every episode. I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg, and I'm here with Dr. Lena Rothstein from UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So I'm Dr. Dean. And I'm Dr. Lena. I'm a pediatrician who's been practicing for over 30 years. And I'm a pediatrician just at the beginning of my career. So I'm used to tried and true practices, and I'm generally wary of new recommendations because I'm thinking, if it's working, why change? And I'm always interested in learning new perspectives and why policies and advice changes over time. So we have different practices and approaches, but our goal is the same. We want to optimize children's health and development, and we want to make sure that parents understand current recommendations and why policies are the way they are. Our podcast is aimed mainly for parents, but pediatricians and other healthcare providers may find our discussions of interest as well. And children might want to get a behind-the-scenes look at what their parents are listening to so that they can discuss it with them. That leads us to today's topic. Hi, you've reached two peds in a pod. Leave your question about your child's health at the beep. Hi, my name is Tiffany from Sacramento, and I am a working mom of an adorable 18-month-old boy. So my husband typically does drop off and pick up at daycare, but occasionally if he's sick or we have something else going on, I will do drop off. And lately, whenever I take and drop my son off at daycare, he has a really hard time. He gets super, super sad, very clingy, and then the teachers say that he has a really tough morning at daycare. I'm wondering if this is normal and if there's anything that I can do to make drop-offs easier when I take him, since he doesn't seem to have any problem when my husband drops him off. Tiffany is dealing with something here that every parent is dealing with right now with back-to-school, after-summer, separation anxiety. And it can be a really, really difficult transition for some kids and for parents who are dealing with this. So, yeah, I mean, Tiffany's very articulate about this, and I can see how that happens, but come on, this is like a normal problem and normal families like deal with this and this like happens all the time and then kids grow out of it. So like, what's the big deal about this? Well, you're right. In most children, this is a completely normal behavior. And in fact, it demonstrates a developmentally appropriate step in your child's development of attachment. It was also an adaptive behavior that ensured infant survival. Infant survival. I, n- I never thought about that, but I guess I can see that. So if the infants were crying more when they were separated from their parents and they're more clingy, then their caregiver would be with them more and then the infant's more likely to survive. Is that is that it? Exactly. And dealing with separation anxiety can be a really big deal to families who are experiencing it. There can be a sense of parental guilt associated with having a child with separation anxiety, and then in turn, this can lead to poor sleep. Your child is crawling into bed with you in the middle of the night, and you're not sleeping, and the child can start to be fearful of social situations, and then sometimes it can even interfere with normal child development, which is why it's a really important topic to talk about today. I understand child development's really important, and I you know, fully endorse that. But I'm just wondering, how big is this problem? I mean, how many kids really experience routine separation anxiety? Almost all children will experience some form of separation anxiety at some point. Like we said, this is totally normal. It seems like it's more common at certain ages. So is this true? And what what ages would parents really be thinking about this happening? That is true. So it typically starts in infants around eight months of age. 
And it usually starts because they're developing a concept called object permanence. Object permanence. I've I've heard of that before. So that's let me let me see if I get this right. Object permanence is when a child doesn't have it that you could like cover a toy right in front of them with something like a paper towel, and then they would think it's gone. So once they've developed this concept, you can cover it, and then you remove it, and they know the toy's still there. Is that is that object permanence? That's exactly what object permanence is. So when we're looking at object permanence in the context of separation anxiety, it basically means that now when their parent leaves the room, they still know that their parent exists and they're nervous that they're not going to come back. So if mom or dad is in the kitchen with them, feeding them, as soon as they go to the living room, the child starts to get nervous. Like, is my parent going to come back for me? I know that they still exist, but where are they? And so that's why this is the first age that real separation anxiety starts to develop. Well, that example you mentioned, I mean, that to me, obviously, that's common sense. But given the child's developmental stage, I understand that. And that must be really terrifying to the child. So I could see how they could really get clingy and that could really affect them. So what ages do children really start exhibiting this behavior, this separation anxiety? Well, after that eight-month period, toddlers is usually the peak. So that's 12 to 24 months of age. And at that point, they've really developed a strong attachment to their parents. And so at this age, they can start throwing tantrums, being really clingy. And then we see it again as kids start like that preschool age. And usually this is in the setting of starting a new daycare or a new school, or they have a new sibling that's demanding a lot of time. Usually, these are more the result of a trigger and are shorter than the previous stages. Even so, though, I mean, these are these are tough ages, and you know, parents with toddlers, I mean, they're already sleep deprived from raising an infant, and if they have another child around this age, and there's a new baby in the house, I mean, they must just be exhausted. So this could be really challenging to deal with. How long does this last? You know, it's difficult because every child is a little bit different. But in general, infants and toddlers, it tends to last a few months. In older kids, it can go away more quickly. And that's another good topic because if it's present for more than four weeks and it's severe, they feel like it's interfering with their children's ability to go out and do things that are developmentally appropriate for their age, they may want to consider seeing their pediatrician because it may be more abnormal. That was going to be my next question, because we've talked about developmentally normal separation anxiety, but what are some of the signs or signals that parents should really get worried and they might have more severe separation anxiety and they should like really need to get help for that? Yeah, that's a good question. And while it's really uncommon, there is something called separation anxiety disorder, which is different than our routine separation anxiety that all kids experience. That's like a real diagnosis. Exactly. So Hmm. this is when anxiety interferes with your child's normal development. Anxiety disorders are actually the most commonly diagnosed psychiatric disorder in childhood. And it affects children at a rate of approximately 3% in children and 8% in adolescents. Wow. I never even considered that that would be like on the range of like a psychiatric disorder. But what are some of the things that would differentiate separation anxiety disorder, the more severe form from regular separation anxiety. So the criteria that must be demonstrated in order to receive a diagnosis of separation anxiety disorder is that three, at least three of the following must be present. So they talk about significant concern during or in anticipation of separation from a parent, 
worry about loss of a loved one, worry about separation as a result of tragedy, so like a kidnapping. Wow. Difficulty leaving the house due to separation concerns, difficulty being at home alone, difficulty sleeping alone, having nightmares regarding separation, or somatic complaints, so related to separation. So those would be your kids that can't go to school because they have a bellyache every day or a headache. And that's preventing them from going. So those vague kind of symptoms that mm-hmm. really, they don't have the flu or anything. They have they, they just say, my stomach hurts. Or... Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So if a kid has separation anxiety, then that's going to really interfere with their development. Then it's going to be difficult for them to go to school and go to birthday parties and other sort of routine childhood activities. So if a child is really severely affected like this, who's going to evaluate this? I mean, what what kind of professional does that? And what would parents expect from this kind of evaluation? Yeah. So if a parent is concerned for separation anxiety disorder, so your child is not developing appropriately because of their severe separation anxiety, you would really start off by visiting your pediatrician and expressing this concern. I would make an appointment with your pediatrician and say you specifically want to discuss this because, you know, when you go in for your routine well-child checks, they have about a million other things to discuss and you may not have the time. So you want to make sure that you have, like, the time set aside during the appointment just to discuss this issue. Exactly, because it requires quite a bit of time from your pediatrician. They'll give you things like questionnaires and surveys to get at questions that target looking exactly at your child's anxiety level. And they may give you questionnaires to take to other care providers like the daycare and babysitter and things like that. So if a child gets diagnosed with the severe form, the separation anxiety disorder, not the routine form, what what kind of treatments are available for them? So they'll usually be sent to a specialist like a developmental and behavioral pediatrician or a child psychiatrist. And from there, they routinely refer them to have therapy. So you're telling me like a kid's going to go to a child psychiatrist and they're going to be like lying back on like this tiny couch, like pouring out their heart. I mean, you can't mean that, right? (laughs) No, I don't mean that. Although it is a very cute image to imagine. Usually we refer them to something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And in kids, this involves a lot of play. They do art therapy. They can do puppet shows. That sounds like fun. (laughs) Yeah, it is fun. And cognitive behavioral therapy is really aimed at restructuring their mind frame from being worried and concerned that something terrible is going to happen to reframing it into realizing that this is a safe thing and that separation can be safe and fun. That sounds pretty challenging. What what happens if that doesn't work? Like, do, do sometimes people use medication for this? We really try to avoid using medications in children especially because the therapy can be really beneficial and work. So very, very last line would we ever consider using medication for something like this. I've had parents ask that if their kid really has bad separation anxiety and if this is a real challenge for them, does this have any long-term effects? So like later on in life, are the children going to have anxiety or depression or anything like that? Is there research in this area? Yeah, the studies are really mixed on this. So one recent study suggested that kids that have a high increasing anxiety type, so maybe not diagnosed with separation anxiety disorder, but had seemed really anxious in their childhood years, were more likely to go on to develop things like depression, anxiety, and social isolation. 
They also had worse academic achievement. Interestingly, they had higher rates of maternal anxiety. And some of them even had worse signs of physical health. So they had more headaches, and they actually had more chronic asthma than their counterparts that had low anxiety. Those are a lot of significant effects that this could result in. So this is a really important area. And I guess what this reminds me of stuff that's been in the news lately is um, that people are worried about children who um, are separated from their families, for example, if they're immigrating to this country. And this has happened at the U.S.-Mexico border. And pediatricians especially have been very vocal about this. I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that this is a super important issue to talk about and one that many pediatricians, including myself, are really passionate about. Separation anxiety is exacerbated when children are in unfamiliar situations, have a history of experiencing horrific violence or unstable homes, and are now being torn away from their families for an unknown amount of time. This is what we would refer to as toxic stress or adverse childhood experiences. So I've heard of those, but what what are those? When a child experiences something that's really significant at a young age, like being in the foster system, experiencing abuse, there's a whole laundry list of things that count as adverse childhood experiences, and they actually deserve their own episode entirely. Okay, I won't bug you about it then. (laughs) But these experiences have harmful effects on attachment, relationships, psychological, and physical health as a child grows older. And so that's why pediatricians have been really up in arms about this issue and why we feel like there's no amount of time that these children should be separated from their families. So I know our professional organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, has really been quite vocal on this. So I don't want to get too political about this, but this, the American Academy of Pediatrics, is, this is basically like a medical issue. Yeah, totally. Not, not a political issue. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to make that clear. But I wanted to shift to an older age population because these days it seems like I've heard of a new type of separation anxiety in teens And not being separated from their parents, who sometimes they really don't want to be around, but being separated from their technology, from their cell phones. Is this this a real issue? That is such a good point. And honestly, I think teenagers and their technology merit their own podcast because has gotten out of hand. Um, But in fact, there have been studies that show increased anxiety with young people who get more text messages, increased anxiety when they haven't received a reply from their text message. So I think there's a lot to look into there, but they're they're sort of their own breed. Man, it's it's like tough being a kid these days, isn't it? It is. You can't catch a break. Yeah. Let's summarize some of the main points. Like what parents, like Tiffany, what what do they really want to hear about? What are some practical things that parents can do to reduce separation anxiety in their children to make their kids more comfortable, and then it makes the whole family's life more comfortable. Yeah, so let's get to the meat of it. What can you do to avoid separation anxiety? My first tip for parents is always reducing their own anxiety. But they're, it's so, that must be so hard to do when the child's clingy and crying, and, and, and Tiffany's got to drop their adorable child off at daycare, and then she presumably has to get to work. So, yeah. th- th- of course, that would make a parent anxious. Right. I think one way to reduce parental anxiety is to feel comfortable with where they're leaving their child. So my first recommendation is do your background research. Make sure that you feel 100% comfortable with the daycare you choose, with the babysitter you 
you choose so that when you drop your child off on that first day, they don't sense any anxiety in you. You feel comfortable in these people. You are willing to leave them. You know they're going to have a great experience. So you're saying some of the separation anxiety, really parents need to reflect about it. It might be because the parents are uncomfortable with the preschool or the babysitter, and they're not entirely comfortable dropping the kid off. And then their child senses that and it creates this this interaction. Exactly. Mm. My next recommendation is start separating early, if possible, before that concept of object permanence develops. And that's at eight months of age, right? Yep, right around eight months. Mm -hmm. Some kids develop it a little bit earlier, some a little later. But you should be practicing separating before that, if possible. So leave them with your grandparents. Leave them with... um, I guess not your grandparents, but it'll be the child's grandparents right? <laughs> and um, babysitters if possible. So by doing it before the object permanence sets in, the kid gets used to it. Exactly. Another recommendation is practice going to that new environment. So if your child is starting a new daycare, there's no reason that you shouldn't go there with them, kind of explore, make them feel like it's a safe place first with you before you just drop them all of a sudden on day one. So I've heard the opposite sometimes. Sometimes I've heard, like, just drop them off and leave and <laughs> so that they can, like, just get over it. Yeah, that is not the what you should do. I know parents, this was a very common thing for parents to do is, like, wait till the baby has their back turned and sneak out of the right. room. This completely goes against what I would recommend doing because your child needs to develop this trust with you. They need to know that when you leave, you're coming back. By just up and abandoning them, that's going to worsen their fears of this separation. But to ease into it, so to start off by just like maybe going to the preschool with the parent and the child and like walking around, maybe being there for 10 or 15 minutes and then the next time maybe for an hour or something like that. Yeah, the next recommendation is have a routine. I think this is the thing that is so hard with Tiffany and Harrison is that Harrison's routine is having dad drop him off and dad pick him up. And so when Tiffany is able to drop him off, although that must be so nice for her. Right, because she's participating in his regular life. Right. But then he's like, mom's here. Like, I don't get this very often. And so that leads to this this tantrum because he wants to spend more time with her. And so if you're able to have a consistent routine, so same person, pick him, drop him off and pick him up. um, That is really the best thing. So really, you're saying Tiffany should be forbidden to drop her child (laughs) off at daycare. I mean, I don't want to say that. But by having some sort of routine, say maybe she does Mondays and Fridays, and maybe they do something special together that's just them two when she picks him up, then they can have that routine. Is there anything that that Tiffany could do that might be part of a routine that her husband does and so that that could be like a routine for the child? Exactly. So you can create like a goodbye routine with your child. So some parents will do like kiss on each cheek and then a quick goodbye. Those are the best. You don't want to drag this out because that will make it harder for the kid. So so no long like songs or anything like that. I mean, a cute little song could be good, but make it a brief one. And that way they know this is when we're parting. And so both parents follow the exact same routine. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. And then be honest with them about when you're coming to get them and give it to them in child specific talk. So instead of saying, I'm going to be back at 5 p.m. after work. Right. So you used to say when the big hands at the top and the little hands at the five, right? Well, no, Dr. Dean, because how many preschoolers do you know that can read a clock? Okay. Well, <laughs> what? Okay. Well, so how do they do that then? So you would say something that makes sense to them, like, I will be back after second snack. 
And then do your best. Snack. So that's snack. so that's the time that they yeah. know their or routine it might be is there. they're having two snacks during the day. So then they know what time that is. Exactly. And try and keep your promise. So if you say you're going to be back after second snack, then be back after second snack, at least until they're comfortable in this situation and that separation anxiety has died down. Hmm. Okay. So, so what are some of the main points then that we're talking about? So, the one of them is like that the separation anxiety is a normal part of child development for most infants and toddlers, right? And this can be improved by having a healthy goodbye routine and practicing this early, initiating it early. Exactly. We also talked about how separation anxiety disorder is a diagnosis for kids whose anxiety is interfering with their normal development and has been present for over four weeks. And then we also touched upon the issue about that any kind of forced or prolonged separation of children from their parents, that this can really lead to lifelong anxiety and attachment issues and, and other major health issues. Well, great. This issue with separation anxiety, I know it's a serious issue, but it does remind me of a joke. Oh, yeah? What's that? Knock, knock. Who's there? Boo. Boo who? No need to cry. It's only a joke. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's a silly one. You can find more information about this subject on our Facebook page, too. That's T-W-O, Peds in a Pod, all one word. Follow us on Twitter at 2 underscore Peds. That's the number 2 underscore P-E-D-S. Or Instagram at the number 2 Peds in a Pod. If you have feedback on this show or topics you'd like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. You can call us with any questions at 916 916- 915-3388 or submit a question at our email to pedsinapod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us for our next podcast. Two Peds in a Pod is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. <laughs>